This is Real Estate for Breakfast podcast, and I am your host, Philip Coover of Shank Annis Tepper Campbell. The Real Estate for Breakfast podcast is a Chicago-centric commercial real estate podcast utilizing attorneys, finance, and real estate professionals to create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues and entertaining discussion. This podcast is a mixture of real estate business and law. Today, we have a real treat. We have the University Club, which is... Uh, near and dear to my heart, and we have a, a special project. You know, I was thinking I have a podcast about commercial real estate and the University Club, which is a, a special place for me. I've been a member for 12 years and involved in club governance over there. And we have a really exciting commercial real estate project right here at the University Club that uh, is going to be delivered to membership in. September of 2017. We recorded this in late August with uh, three important individuals to this special project. We have John Spitalette. He's the general manager at the club. He's been there for over 30 years. We have the uh, head chef, Mark Baker, who's also our food and beverage director and our chief engineer, Marty Keene. And with the three of them, we, we, we I wanted to get them together to talk about what we have is we're delivering a $13.5 million expansion into uh, the building that is just to the north of the University Club. University Club is a 13-floor Gothic cathedral uh, skyscraper. Not Gothic cathedral, just a Gothic-style skyscraper that is uh, located at Monroe in Michigan, overlooks Millennium Park and the lake. And they're doing this really unique thing where they're building out uh, two floors onto the building adjacent to it to the north and combining those two buildings. So it's a really cool project and it's been several years in the making. So I wanted to get these three individuals into a room to help explain what this project is, what it took to get there. And and this is different than some of our other podcasts because here we're talking about the owners essentially. They, They work for and with the university club, but it's essentially, this is a real labor of love and it's one of the crowning achievements of their careers, I expect, I, I would assume. And it's just something that's really special that they're delivering. So, you know, I didn't even have to ask too many questions. They just, uh, they've spent years working on this project and it really shows how much they care about it. And so we just got them in a room and we wanted to just let them talk about this project and what it means and, and how they did it. So really excited about that. And uh, I hope that you'll enjoy it. I also wanted to give a couple shout-outs to uh, Cliff Schwander, our current president, Eric Sutherland, the Sutherland Committee, some of the past presidents, Brian Sedlak, Bill McKenna, and, and really all of those that have helped put this project together. It, it means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to them. And um, I'm very excited for when they when this project opens. I got the chance to get a sneak peek of it last night, uh, and it was truly remarkable, and we're very excited about it. So before... We start, just a couple of house cleaning things. If listeners are interested in a particular topic or wants to get in touch with us, please contact us at solutioncenter at satcltd.com. Please visit our website, realestatebreakfast.com. Tell a friend, leave a rating on iTunes, it helps, and uh, it's really working so far. Thank you for all of those who've been telling your friends and your family to listen to the podcast. It's really been taking off and it's been exciting to be a part of it. We should also mention that the podcast is brought to you by SATC Solution Center, L3C, which is the Education Development Division of the law firm, Shank Annis Tepper Campbell. That is, uh, I'm an attorney and principal with that firm. I've been with the firm since 2005. Shank Annis Tepper Campbell 
partners with our clients to provide commercial real estate, business, estate planning, litigation, and insurance law guidance to help clients grow their businesses and protect their assets. One more note before we get started. We recorded this podcast live on location, as they say, at the University Club. So you may hear some construction noises. We're in a period where we're trying to get the project completed on time. We're surrounded by other conference rooms. So I hope that you feel like you're in uh, the friendly walls of the University Club and enjoying all the invigorating excitement going on there. So if you hear noises in the background, just pretend you're at the University Club and you're uh, getting ready for the, the opening of this project. Thanks so much. Enjoy the podcast. I'm your host, Philip Coover, and I'm here with the University Club today. So we have three representatives from the University Club. We have our general manager, John Spitalette. We have our head chef, Chef Mark Baker, and our chief engineer, Marty Keene. Hello, gentlemen. Thanks for coming on. Good morning. Good morning. So we're here today to have a little bit of fun and to talk about a very exciting project. This is, we're on the eve of our delivery of the expansion project, and uh, we're recording this in late August, and we hope to have delivery is, in, is projected for September. September 13th. <laughs> so, John, why don't you start by just giving us, an, our listeners, an overview of the project, and we'll take it from there. Sure. It, it's probably helpful to go back and just talk about the club uh, for a few moments. Um, the club is was founded in 1886. Um, we have... Uh, 3,400 uh, total members. There's roundly 2,200 resident members. We're a quarter million square foot facility. This is the third clubhouse that we've occupied. Um, we've been here since 1909. Uh, a classic example of Gothic, English Gothic architecture. The first probably Gothic skyscraper uh, built in the United States. Uh, and uh, the requirement uh, for joining the club is that you have a university or college degree. And so, uh, but the club is really about social interaction. And, and uh, much of our social interaction revolves around um, dining here at the club. We will serve 160,000 meals. Mark Baker has been our executive chef for the last 15 years, formerly of the Four Seasons, and has done a phenomenal job as not only the executive chef, but also the, um, the food and beverage manager, and runs all the food and beverage here at the club. Uh, Marty Keene's our chief engineer for the last 16 years also, and, um, and, and we've done numerous capital projects here at the club. So in essence, clubs, and club members vote with their feet, uh, vote with their stomach. And uh, so we have very, very good food here at the University Club. Uh, but um, in the middle 2000s, we were recognizing that uh, the dining landscape was changing. We had a sense that members were, were looking for something more casual. And so what we did, we do surveys every five years. In 2007, we, in our survey, we asked the question, what are they looking for in dining? Uh, we always got very, very high marks, 
And they came pretty forcefully across saying, we wanted casual dining. And um, as you can um, think, casual means many things from sports bars to quick bites to smaller plates, all very high quality. So um, obviously we were adjusting our food service accordingly. And then in 2012, we asked the question again, once again, uh, very impactful results saying we wanted casual sports theme, if you will, key, which meant TVs and the like, gathering spaces and the like. And this was reflective, uh, and Mark will talk about this a bit, reflective kind of what we, our sense was how our members are living. And they're, they're living in a much more casual style, less um, coat and tie, if you will. We also saw in our 2012 survey that 65% of the members now lived and worked in the city, where when I joined the club, um, in um, in uh, the 83, 75% of our members lived in the suburbs. So they're looking at the club more like an in-town country club and uh, a, a place, if you will, to, to uh, bring their families, be more casual. And so that was the genesis of um, this um, $13.5 million, 15,000 square foot addition uh, to um, um, the programming and facilities here at the club and um, we were just fortunate enough to be able to have the financial resources we have the location we had a board of directors and senior staff that was very forward-looking to take a fairly significant um, opportunity and, and make it become a reality and um, when we started the project uh, Mark Baker who who is the food and beverage director our executive chef is uh, and has a very good vision of, of what the members, current members want and need. We asked him to lead this project, and so this is much a reflection of his vision of the futures and his sense of what the membership has. And so um, I hand it over to Mark, and, and he can share uh, what we're doing over there. Sure, thanks. Great, uh, great background there. Uh, well, as John said, it was really you know, to meet these evolving needs of our members that drove the project. And clearly the survey's a part of that, but it's also, you know, anecdotal, talking to members, uh, going to uh, neighboring restaurants, and you see members there in casual attire and casual meaning jeans, and so we knew that we had to bring some of those elements to the facilities, as well as deliver these new experiences. You know, as much as members love the existing clubhouse, you know, we needed to bring an idea of new to casual dining, and we couldn't just do that with the existing facilities. The great thing about the building next door, 30 South, was that it was kind of a blank canvas. You know, it was an office building, we took two floors. The great challenge, you know, initially working with our design and architectural teams was how do we how do we marry it to this, you know, building that everybody loves? Because right. as we like to say, that the building is the art here at the University Club. So it took a long process of development to get them to understand kind of the feel and that there had to be this seamless relationship between the two spaces. Not that you would come into the 76 clubhouse and go into the new facilities and feel like you were somewhere other than the 76 clubhouse and that, you know, members would really respond to it, but also that, you know, 20 or 30 years from now, those future members would think, well, this was always part of the club. So I think that was one of the big challenges initially that we tried to overcome. 
Right, right, yeah, it's, it's a unique development because you have your existing 13-story Gothic architecture skyscraper right here in the corner of uh, Monroe in Michigan overlooking Millennium Park. And then we, how did you identify, because the, the club is, owns the building just to the north of it called 30 South Michigan. So how did you identify that rather than work within the confines of our existing structure, we could we could use this building that we have to the north of us that's uh, adjacent and combined and, and take it from there. Well, there are so many spots in the existing clubhouse that resonate with members. When you think of Cathedral Hall, when you think of the gallery, it's hard to go and renovate or change those because everyone identifies whether I as a staff member or a member that had their wedding here or comes to the holiday buffet, buffets here or goes to the president's bar with clients. So we knew we had to have new space. We we're fortunate that, you know, 10 or so years ago, uh, the club and governance had, had the foresight when the opportunity presented itself to purchase that building, even though there were no short-term plans for it. So, you know, it only made sense when we were going to bring new facilities that we had to create something new and something exciting and something different that would, you know, deliver new experiences on many levels and in many ways to this broad demographic of membership. Everyone from the member who's been here 50 years to the member who joined last week. You know, we want to be, you know, inclusive to membership and, you know, create more opportunity for members to use their club in different ways than, than they do now. And part of that was working with a blank canvas, but also being very respectful of the fact that the architecture and design had to reflect the heritage and history of the club. And that's what we tried to do. And that was, uh, you know, that was an interesting process and it was a tough challenge, frankly, when you're trying to do that. So, and it's important to note, I mean, um, we have long tenured uh, senior managers here at the club, and we constantly, um, uh, through our daily process, both formally and informally, look at the club and, and, and see it as, um, you know, a facility that continually improves, continually gets modified. But as Mark alludes to, you, you obviously can't change the character of things. And so, but we always look at it, with, well, how can the club better serve the members as they're living their lives now? And how the 30 South project in the location of the renovation came to fore was that we had looked uh, shortly after we bought that building of, of how to utilize, how to maximize that space for the club. It was fully rented uh, and, and clearly um, that was a benefit to the club. Uh, but we also knew that we had to expand. So the only place we could expand in the building north of us. And so um, we had actually at one point looked at a modified renovation of that seventh floor uh, with an additional floor on it, much more modest uh, than the plans that we have currently. And so as we're looking to this building to see how to address the, those needs of, of the members for a more casual fun venue, uh, we kept running into roadblocks and, and the traditions, as Mark alludes to, in this building. And then we we said, okay, what do we really need? We, we want to capitalize on the beautiful view. Uh, we want to be able to do a project that won't disrupt uh, members. We want to have expansive space. And the only way we were able to do that and meet all the, obviously, the building requirements and, and have a financially feasible program uh, facility is we actually dusted off some... Um, some plans that we had made up for the 30 South building and expanded greatly <laughs> onto those plans. 
in with the culmination of uh, what we're going to deliver to the membership here on the 13th of September. Awesome. Well, tell us exactly what we are delivering. Tell us about the 7th and the 8th floor and, and what the membership okay. can expect. Mark, how about you do that? Okay, so we have two floors, each of about 7,500 square feet. So you're going to enter into the 7th floor. You'll come off the elevator foyer at the University Club. You'll take a left. You go through this fan-vaulted bridgeway. We actually had to construct uh, bridges over the, the air court and light court that's between the two buildings. So the engineering was uh, significant on this. And as you walk into this space, there's a beautiful oversized chandelier gathering area with casual seating, couches, and lounge furniture. And then there's two distinct parts to the seventh floor. And when you look to the left, we've built a new 140 person private dining room for members to hold events. Uh, the catering business here at the club is one of the uh, main ways that members use the club for either social events or for their firm's events. And so we were kind of at capacity. And we also try to, when we do projects, uh, to have new streams of revenue. So we knew that having another private dining room for 100 to 140 people was going to be an asset. It's different from some of the existing private spaces here at the club which are a little more traditional. This has a little bit more of an I, modern or contemporary is not the right term. It's kind of a classic timeless design. We have barrel vaulted ceilings with significant chandeliers. It's glass fronted, a 14 foot storefront of glass. So you have visibility in and out. We think it's gonna be amazingly popular and actually we've already started booking events uh, in the space, even though members can't even go and see the space. So we're very excited about that. And so the other part of the seventh floor, as you turn right, and the first thing you'll notice when you turn right is the view out to Millennium Park. Uh, the Gage Building has significant Chicago-style windows, so you're gazing out onto Crown Fountain and eventually to the lakefront. And here on the seventh floor, there's several things that we're doing for members. Uh, during the day, we're going to have and the term cyber cafe is kind of dated, maybe not the right term, but we needed to have a drop-in place for members to come, grab a coffee, bring a client, have little one-on-one -on -one conferences, come in, get on their email, get on a laptop. You know, we didn't really have a space that functioned 24-7 uh, for members in that sense. So this is a very comfortable space. We've got oversized TVs, we've got sectionals with lounge furniture, and then we also have bar uh, furniture, dining tables as we go to the front of the space. So during the day, it's kind of this drop-in place. Members can come anytime and hang out, or as I said, have small one-on-ones or little gatherings. And then as we go into the afternoon and evening, it'll kind of morph into more of the lounge sports bar feel. We've got uh, five oversized uh, state-of-the-art TVs and viewing areas. So one of the things that we want to do is to foster and encourage you know, that sense of camaraderie and community that's so important here at the club. So. Chicago's a big sports town, so you can think of we're going into football season as we open. Uh, you've got the Cubs, hopefully, in the playoffs. You've got the Bulls and the Blackhawks. You have college sports. Everyone who's a member has a degree from a college or university. So, okay, we're going to show the Northwestern game, get your buddies, get your friends, wear your jerseys, come down and watch the game, as well as engage members through, you know, other entertainment events. It could be, you know, pay-per-view concerts or whatever is popular in culture today. So we think there's a great opportunity to, you know, have members interact, have fun in a very casual way. Uh, and also they'll be able to wear jeans, which 
is a big a big bonus over there. I plan on spending a lot of time on that floor. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, down there we'll have great cocktail service. We have uh, a variety of draft beers. We've made some special university club brews with a local brewery, which we're excited about. So we'll get some traction with that. And we'll have a bar food menu down there. Very casual, kind of drop-in, spontaneous place. You can get a great burger or a snack. You know, we want to encourage members to, hey, I'm just going to swing by, grab a bite to eat, have a drink before I head home. Or, you know, plan to make an evening for it. We're extending the hours of service there, so we'll be open later. And they'll also be open on Saturday. So currently we don't really have a late night venue on the weekend for members and we think there's you know a great opportunity for members to use the club uh, again in different ways than they do now with with the facility and with the hours of operation the things that we're going to do there. It's going to be a really fun, vibrant, lively place. So that's the seventh floor. So the eighth floor is a little bit different and you know as John said this started with a view uh, the thing about the eighth floor that's stunning is the view and when the CAA opened up the street there was a lot of chatter about Cindy's because they have this great uh, view out onto the park. So you know we put up scaffolding, we had governance members go up and kind of see what the view was and uh, that kind of sold the project. So the eighth floor has several components and one of the other key things that we got from the survey was the fact that members wanted year-round casual dining and casual meaning casual in terms of you know, lifestyle, which means jeans, place they can go and feel comfortable, come with their kids during the week, whatever that might be, uh, as well as in terms of the food, the service, you know, upscale casual restaurants are what's successful uh, today. You know, not too many restaurants that you go today, you're wearing a jacket or tie. So, you know, it's really a response to how members are living their life. And so we have a new indoor 90 seat restaurant. Uh, it's really magnificent in design as it's coming together. There's a 14-foot high fan vaulted ceiling. It was uh, a labor of love to build this because it took uh, what a month and a half probably to construct wow. the ceiling. It's got uh, intricate plaster moldings that were all cast on site. It was really amazing to see these guys casting each piece individually and fitting it into the ceiling. And I think that you know it really relates to the existing clubhouse. And when members see it, they're just going to you know jaws are going to drop. And you see the ceiling, it's really beautiful, it's a work of art. Of course, we have the view out to the lake and at the front of the space, we have what's called a nano wall, uh, which is a collapsible glass wall. So it's 26 feet wide by 10 feet high. And so it's an entire moving system so that we can collapse the entire wall so there's no barrier between the indoor restaurant and the outdoor front terrace. So. Even if you're inside, the view is as magnificent as if you're at the front of the space or if you're dining inside, you know, you get that feel of openness that's really hard to replicate in a restaurant. So I think that's one of the other things that's very significant about this space. There's a custom tile pattern floor that we took design elements from the University Club. Tiles were made in Italy and shipped over. They're just starting to lay it. It's another, I think, wow that will resonate with members and kind of show the relationship between these new spaces and the existing clubhouse. And so the restaurant, we called it the Parliament. And uh, probably of all the things on the project, the hardest thing is coming up with a name for a place, believe it or not, because there's lots of different ideas. And yeah, so absolutely. when we came up with the name and the logo for the Parliament, uh, we wanted it to relate to the history of the club and here at the university club the owl is the symbol or mascot it's on the seal uh, the owl is you know a symbol of learning knowledge education 
Uh, you know, the common bond all members have is that they have a degree from higher education. Uh, and also, a parliament is a term for a gathering of owls. So, you know, we have the Order of the Owl, which is a club within the club of about 700 members who are the members who sponsor and bring in new members. So that's very important. So, you know, the name parliament seemed to really fit with the history and heritage of the club, uh, but also be something that would resonate to members and kind of create that sense of destination when you're going to the restaurant versus I'm just going to a dining room. So uh, we're very excited about it. We have a food interactive station, I guess I'll call it. We're gonna do things like raw bar and sushi bar, as well as great craft cocktails, a very spontaneous menu, uh, so members can come frequently. Uh, and again, it's shareables, it's obviously you know market-driven, kind of what the time of year is and what's on the market, uh, and frequently changing. You know, it's to encourage members to come to the club once a day, twice a day, once a week, once a month, you know, whatever fits their lifestyle, and be family friendly. You know, it's a place where, you know, during the week, members can feel comfortable coming with their families and kids. As John said, most of our members live downtown. I know when I go to restaurants, I see lots of people with their families and kids during the week, uh, and we want to encourage that here. Uh, also on the eighth floor, we have uh, another small private dining room. So it's glass enclosed, so it's glass walled, and we have uh, movable glass doors on either side. It's also open at the top, and it can accommodate about 30 people. So it's one of the things that we knew uh, we wanted to do was have a private dining room within the restaurant because it's kind of a CNBC place. And again, sure. it's already been very popular with members booking you know, uh, their events, and actually Alan Bully, who is uh, from Bully and Andrews, our general contractors on this project, uh, was one of the first persons to book an event in September for a celebration there. So uh, we're excited about it. But it was also designed to be flexible so that if it's not booked for a private event, we can use it for additional seating for the restaurant. Uh, as we go further west on the space, we have kind of an outdoor urban courtyard. Originally, it was just going to be some roof space. Uh, we figured, you know, we've gone this far. You know, what's a few more dollars, right? Sure. And so we have a, a very nice, I'll call it urban courtyard. Uh, it's a more tranquil space. Uh, and we'll have you know different events that we do out there. We can do things like show movies at night. We can have events for kids on the weekend. We could do you know yoga classes. You could have receptions out there. So it's a really flexible space. Uh, and we also have a water feature or fountain. Uh, so it's a nice place where members could go and just kind of get away from the hustle and bustle of the city. Uh, another cool feature. Schwander Fountain, I hear. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> it's going to be named for someone, but it might be named for Marty Keens, and he, he is the man, along with our stone fabricator, we're actually building and constructing it. One of the things that, despite that. all the resources on this project, nobody could find a company to build a fountain or water feature for us. So that really? was kind of an interesting. So we took the challenge on ourselves, from design to execution. I didn't realize that. That's, that's fantastic, Marty. Thank you. Uh, we had a, a good time doing it. We built a few uh, models of it uh, in our carpenter shop. Had uh, board members, John, Mark, Steve Bocciglupo, everyone take a look, how they like it, how much water should flow, do they want it this noisy, you know, we did a lot of research on it and, uh, you know, the end product I'm very proud of and I think it's going to be uh, excellent for back there, so. Is that your first fountain? 
<laughs> that is my first fountain. First and only. First and only. Knocked it out of the park right off the start. Yeah, there was a, a lot of people involved, uh, you know, from the design to how we look. We went and looked at different granites, marble. I mean, everyone was very involved in the fountain. We constructed it together, and I think it's going to be outstanding. Lots of pictures Wonderful. taken in front of it, so. Yeah. <laughs> Marty is the type of guy, when he takes something on, he doesn't let it go. So it's, it's been an amazing process, what he's been able to do with it. But it's really going to be a significant feature back there on that courtyard. And then, Mark, why don't we have a, a special dry storage area that originally was just going to be truly storage. And, and uh, yes, Chef and his team came up with this wonderful idea. Mark? Originally, we had uh, a storeroom on the back part just off this uh, courtyard uh, because you never have enough storage. And then the city said, well, if it's a storage room or janitor's closet, you have to put in a mop sink. And I'm like, well, we don't need a mop sink. So we started thinking, what else could we do with it? It wasn't a very big space. Uh, and so we came up with this idea to kind of a throwback to Chicago's history was to create sort of an old style uh, Chicago speakeasy. And so because it was going to be a storeroom, we decided to call that dry storage. So it's a little bit of a play and it's kind of this hidden place that you have to be in the know. Uh, it's going to be a very intimate space. Uh, it's going to be a little more rustic than the feel of some of the other new spaces. Uh, we're going to feature, you know, premium American whiskeys, scotches, classic cocktails from, you know, the Prohibition era. And uh, we think members are really going to enjoy it. It's a great place to come and hang out with other members or bring your friends and introduce them to the club. It's also, you know, only a space for about 15 people. So we think there's going to be high demand. It'll be a fun little addition. Again, it's something initially we didn't uh, have on our plans, but as as we went through the process, we said, well, you know, this would be something very cool to uh, deliver to members and something that, you know, certainly I don't think too many other clubs uh, have in the United States. You know, Phil, I think it's important to also understand the role Marty Keene has played in this project um, from the beginning of the conceptual model and the like. Uh, the fact that um, we were going to be scraping off an entire seventh floor of uh, the building uh, next door to us and um, rebuilding that floor and building another floor and then taking the systems from um, the university club uh, or the HVAC if you will and, and the like and incorporating them into the new area uh, we didn't have to build a new kitchen because um, we were able to break through and use one of our existing kitchens. So there was a lot of innovation like that and uh, Marty Keene's um, understanding of, uh, unique understanding of our systems and the capability of our systems and be able to meld that with um, the, uh, the uh, mechanical engineers, mechanical um, design firms, if you will, and also the contractors, and, and their, his intimate knowledge was critical to the success of, the, of, this, of this project. In fact, uh, from the get-go, I think we had one plan um, for a system that, as Marty looked into it for future repair and efficiency and stuff, working with our contractor, we actually reworked the design of the entire 15,000 square feet to be much more efficient um, and for not just maintenance, but also operation. And maybe Marty can speak to some of that. 
Yeah, so what we did was I met up with a design team from Hill Mechanical and we walked through and the very important part was to get a 14-foot ceiling. In order to do that, we needed to break down the units to smaller units. Uh, in doing so, we were able to break down the units so you have redundancy as well. So if one unit went out, you still have units in the space that can still supply the heating and air until you can do a repair. Um, going through this, uh, we also uh, had to add to our chiller system and we also had to add to our boiler system. So we're sort of running in like a cogeneration plant. We're using one building, one plant, and supplying both buildings with heating and cooling. Uh, we've, in the past, we, as we normally do, uh, we look towards the future. So while we were putting in our cooling tower, you know, 15, 17 years ago, we upsized the cooling tower so we have a big enough tower to run enough uh, refrigeration to do two buildings our size. So uh, with all the pre-thought and everything that we were able to do with our mechanical contractors and designers, we came up with a system that actually has a catwalk that's behind uh, the walls up above the ceiling. The vents, you can't even see where the air is coming from. You don't see where the air returns, um, and it works very well. We've been running it with doors open, windows open, walls not up, and right. you can still get the cooling, and everything's been phenomenal with that. So uh, it was a great, great feat that we undertook, but again, it was a team effort. You know, everybody put their hat in and, you know, best foot forward, and we got it completed. And I, and I think Marty, it's important to note that Marty's expertise just wasn't limited to obviously the mechanical. This was a very, very difficult project from a construction perspective because you're in the middle of downtown Chicago, Michigan Avenue on the front, a very active, almost 24-7 alley, uh, servicing uh, all kinds of businesses and residential units. Uh, we had to demolish uh, 7,000 square feet and build 15,000 square feet and you know we have we had party walls we had debris getting out at night we had uh, large steel beams coming up we had all the construction material much of it coming through the university club so Marty's understanding of the 30 South building uh, which we bought 15 years ago and as well as our building and the capabilities was integral from the design uh, stages to and programming to the actual construction. I think, um, um, you know, uh, Alan Bully, who's a member and head of Bully and Andrews, said probably the finest chief engineer he's ever met and the like in terms of his competency understanding of not just operations but also construction. And so Marty, plus our uh, chief financial officer, Don Cameron, has been involved from the get-go, so we don't just stick to our specific areas of responsibility. This team that uh, was uh, responsible for this had a very broad perspective. In fact, um, both the architects, the designers, and the project administrators uh, commented, and we take great pride with this comment, that they've never met owners like us. Right. And, and we're very hands-on. And I think that's both a compliment, and they're probably happy <laughs> that the project we've done. <laughs> But we look at the university club, and this, the group that we have, we're very proud to work with, is they look at it as, as if this was their own money, their own homes, because this is how we 
the perspective we have for the membership and our commitment to uh, leaving this club in much better shape than, than when we first came here. And that's our goal, to create the finest club of its type in the country and, and, and meet the needs and changing needs and, and desires of the membership. And we'll continue to do this. This won't be the last project we do, but as Mark has pointed out, and it's fair to say it's probably the most significant project we've done since this clubhouse was built in 1909. Yeah, it's truly incredible. I mean, as a, a real estate professional, I was really interested in this project because this is very unique. You don't see this sort of project that's on Michigan Avenue where you have to totally demolish an entire floor, build two floors right on top of Michigan Avenue, combine it with the existing structure. Um, you know, people probably wouldn't do this if, it were, if they were just trying to make money off of it. There, there are more efficient ways to do a project. It's truly a labor of love. And I bet that the, the third-party providers that we have, Antonovich and Associates, Bully and Andrews, JLL, the people that have helped us with this, they probably don't come across these owners like you, you all who have such an institutional knowledge of the building and the structure and how to get things done. And Marty, that was one of the questions I had for you is just, um, did you, what was one of your greater challenges when you have? That probably the greatest challenge was seeing so the 30 South building is part of the Gage building, which the Gage building, I do believe goes from 18 South Michigan to 30 South Michigan. The party wall, so you have Roosevelt University is there and we have to do an extensive jackhammering we have to expose the steel so this started project prior to the project even starting because we had to make sure the steel beams were as documented the same with the same how they constructed them before we can get our structural engineers to say okay yeah you can build on top of this building when the building was designed the building was designed actually to go 12 stories up so we were luckily that we have the structure the infrastructure and the beams but the whole north side of the building we share with another building so we have to be <laughs> quiet when they need to do quiet time they have to still perform their their jobs and they have school and everything else going on so that was one of it the next thing was the vaulted uh, alley uh, getting a crane in there that's going to be able to bring <clears throat> all the heavy equipment up so after they designed and built the legacy building uh, the crane cannot make a turn to be able to drop stuff onto our building. Mm -hmm. So we had to set up the crane uh, with numerous people and open up the doors to the legacy so the crane can fit in perfectly. I think we have about six inches to spare between the wall downstairs and the opening of the door. And then when you come up to the um, 11th floor of the University Club, 13th floor of the Legacy Building, you have the Sky Bridge that brings you over to our Athletic Center. There we have a problem as well because you have to have the boom extended so far. Right. So that was literally six inches away from the glass and the bridge. So the crane operators and everything that was going on um, just was spectacular to see. Um, and that was the hardest, is moving material, getting it demoed, actually keeping our building in service during this time. So it was uh, uh, all employees, everybody on deck. Uh, members were fantastic. You know, you got 15 sweaty construction workers in the elevator. Members were like, we'll grab the next one. You guys are doing a great job. You know, very uh, accommodating. And it's all before, you know, it's for this project. 
So everyone's looking forward to it. So it was a great team effort. So. Yeah, that was one of the questions I had. I was like, how are they getting the steel on top of a building on Michigan Avenue? And it's this this precision of this crane that it just had to be fit right in there. Yes, the the crane operator and everybody. We built scaffolding down there. You have to put steel plates down because we were vaulted, so you can't, you know, it has to support the weight of the crane. Um, the legacy letting us use the loading dock and opening the doors and be able to swing the crane a certain way. So it was difficult. Um, the first set of steel that we brought in was uh, we actually went through the fire escape door on the seventh floor. So we raised it up and came through the fire escape and set it. So then after that steel was planted on there, we were able to put a crane, uh, a spider crane, a large spider crane on the roof of the, which is now the West Terrace, and we were able to pick with the spider crane, so it uh, eliminated a lot of uh, expense with a heavy crane. The crane we always had to do on the weekend. If we couldn't do it on Saturday because there was people moving into the legacy, we would have to do it on Sunday. Um, in between uh, races and uh, marathons and everything right. else that's going on there, getting permits and getting it all coordinated to work with our time schedule was a little bit challenging, but. Julian Andrews and uh, everyone was able to get that. And I think, Phil, it's important to note, I mean, um, we've mentioned the, the, our, our partner and construction firm, general contractor, Bullion Andrews, um, you know, uh, since 1990, uh, they've in effect been our incumbent uh, general GC here at the club, uh, whether it's, you know, a small $50,000 project to this Thirteen and a half million dollar project, and and we do go out to bid on these larger projects. Obviously, that's uh, we'd have to do that for the membership. But we have a very long established relationship with uh, the bullies. A number of uh, senior managers are members, um, uh, and and their expertise in these very difficult jobs uh, uh, can't get applauded enough. They they are very very sharp. And they, you know, for them, it's always about what's best for the owner. And, um, you know, we've benefited from that. And we have a utmost respect for the capabilities of, of the team from the, from the, the super, superintendents uh, throughout the organization. And um, they know how to build difficult projects. So speaking of the, the permitting process and using our general contractor, Billy and Andrews, can you tell us a little bit about the mechanics of getting a project like this approved in the city of Chicago? Just the, the steps that, you know, I, in full disclosure, I, I'm on club governance here at the University Club, so I know a little bit about what John and the team have been through in order to get us where we are, but just I think it's an interesting process how you have to work through it. Well, certainly, um, it, it was. Uh, it's a lot. This is the largest project uh, we ever did. And it, the first time we actually built outside of the university club. Clearly, first and foremost, um, once you're thinking of a project, and we did this very early on. Clearly, we met with the alderman um, and and discussed the project and and what our vision was because you know they obviously um, are stewards of. of of their wards and, and you know have a lot of different constituencies that they have to be responsible for 
Um, this was not a residential uh, uh, construction project. This was, if you will, a, a food and beverage operation. Um, obviously, there's concerns about noise and activity and traffic. And obviously, it's a private club, so there's there's little different implications. But but we did approach this very thoughtfully. We recognize that uh, the city, with the permitting process, we required a number of specific steps, so retained both a, um, a code consulting architect as well as um, uh, an, an attorney dealing with the permitting process. And we engaged those folks early on um, and the like. Uh, we also um, met early on with the, uh, the building department and speaking with um, Asif Rosman um, to show also what we were doing to, to make sure that from a code perspective, most importantly, um, that our design met um, you know, the requirements of the city. The city's very stringent, as they should be, regarding life safety, so that was critical. Also, we, um, um, with uh, Antonovich and Associates, um, we um, had a, um, a landmarks consultant uh, because obviously we're on the historic streetscape of Michigan Avenue and so that had significant implications in terms of the design uh, both in terms of the product, the colors, the sight lines and the like and so there was numerous um, meetings with uh, the city landmarks on, on that um, but we were very successful um, and uh, were able to deliver the project in, in the style and the programming and the facility uh, facades and, and structure and architecture that we wanted but you know in this type of project you know my suggestion obviously is you get the people um, who understand the requirements of the city get them on board early as part of the the team and um, while not easy you'll be able to move your project forward through the various commissions and departments with the city yeah, I'd imagine that it takes uh, quite a bit of patience and uh, diligence to work through that, that extensive process. And can you tell us a little bit about there's a rule about the sight lines from Michigan Avenue and, and how far back you have to be from Michigan Avenue in order to have the clear view. Can you tell us about that? Certainly. Um, you know, as I mentioned, we're part of the historic Michigan Avenue streetscape that runs from uh, Randolph down to Roosevelt. And um, what the city wants to do, obviously, by, uh, by having that historic area, is to maintain the facade of the Michigan Avenue buildings. And we're considered a contributing building, uh, both the University Club as well as a gauge series of buildings, and 30 South is a gauge building. And so what the requirement is, is that you can build things on top of Michigan Avenue buildings, but um, it can't impair um, that historic streetscape. So the requirement for that is um, you have to go over uh, on the east side of Michigan Avenue on the sidewalk and look up to the front of the building, if you will, shooting a, a plane of sight to the front of the building. And uh, you can't have anything that you're gonna build uh, be visible from a six foot tall person. And that did have some implications from our original design. We wanted um, more of our, our infinity deck to be closer, but even the glass railing with the stainless steel cap 
where we originally had positioned, you actually could see that. And while it was de minimis from our perspective, the city was very strict. Uh, Landmarks was very um, strict on what could be seen. So we actually had to move that back about three feet. While we'd like to have this space, we understand what the city requirements were and what they're trying to maintain, if you will. They also had us go um, look and uh, actually go to the middle of Millennium Park to see what the facade would look like and how prominent it would be. That actually prompted uh, a change in our original design from limestone, which you wanted to match with the University Club building, to more of a contemporary interpretation um, of the facade of the 30 um, South building, which has, as Mark alluded, has Chicago-style windows and specific cornices and the like. So the facade, uh, not only was um, the material changed to be more consistent um, with the blending of uh, the side of the University Club and, and, and the streetscape behind uh, uh, Michigan Avenue, but also the style and design of the lines. So it was a change. Um, while we didn't necessarily agree with it originally, we understood kind of the reasoning and we, we came up with, with our architects and um, designers, Looney, um, with we think a beautiful, beautiful uh, addition to the club. Yeah, I'm truly excited about it. Um, Mark, I wanted to ask you, so, we're essentially adding four new dining venues uh, to the University Club. You know, how have you prepared for this addition and expansion on our, our existing facilities? And, and are you excited about rolling this out next month? Uh, well, it's been a long, you know, this is about three years uh, that this team and others have been involved in this. Uh, so it's great to get to the finish line. And, uh, not have to worry about Tuesday morning construction meetings and our teams of consultants and just kind of do what we do, which is run our operations for our members here. Um, you know, clearly food and beverage, hospitality, it's all about staffing. You know, there's a lot of things we can control and have controlled on this project and things come up and you deal with them, right? Uh, the variable is, you know, how are you going to get your staff? How are you going to get a team of people together that are going to be able to kind of deliver uh, you know, the vision that we've created over there. And so it's a very tight labor market in Chicago in the hospitality industry, and not just Chicago nationwide, really, for the last couple of years. I think just less people are going into cooking and into, you know, front of the house service and so forth, because there's other options uh, for people. You know, if you're a college student, maybe you would go and get a job part-time as a server to make some money. Uh, now you can be an Uber driver. So uh, the pool of qualified people uh, is much smaller and highly in demand because there's more and more places, hotels and restaurants open. Uh, so, you know, we did a big push on recruitment. We had job fairs. We've had a strong presence on uh, social media uh, as well as, you know, more traditional advertising venues. And, you know, we've probably had uh, over 300 applicants for positions uh, in the new facilities. We're going to hire about 40 people from coffee baristas to support services to bartenders to front of the house servers to you know back of the house some additional culinary and stewarding staff as well as some management uh, staff so and at the same time integrating some of the existing staff into the new facilities so you know clearly that 
uh, from an operational standpoint was the biggest challenge. Things like uh, picking out China and uh, writing menus, those are fun things. Uh, so, you know, we'll start to onboard staff uh, in about a week through uh, about a two and a half week orientation and training program so that when we do open our first open house on the 13th and then opening the parliament on the 15th, uh, we can deliver uh, the same caliber of service, hospitality that members expect uh, every time they come to the club. Well, I know you gentlemen have a limited time window, so I did want to ask you what each of you to tell us your, your favorite aspect of this, this expansion project. What's, what's personal to you? What do you like the most? Or what are you excited about the most? Marty, how about you first? Wow. Uh, I think the most exciting part of this project is that we were, for me at least, that we were able to actually do this uh, in the time frame and in the location. Uh, I don't think you're going to get a better front yard than we have. We've always been talking about how great our front yard is, and it just keeps on getting more and more beautiful. Uh, and on a day, daily basis, you know, our front yard changes. You know, you got all the seasons, you got uh, sunrise, sunsets, you got fireworks, you have uh, special occasions, you got concerts, all the different concerts. So I think that's uh, my best. Sometimes even Cubs. Championship parades. Yes, sometimes. sometimes. Hopefully. Hopefully more than Hopefully once. Hopefully more, more than just the Cubs. Maybe. Yes. Right. Chef? Well, you know, I think the thing that has been the best part has been this great uh, collaborative team effort here uh, among many, many people at the University Club. And, you know, it wasn't one vision or one person or a couple of people. And what that has done is allowed us to deliver something that's going to be truly outstanding because something that I didn't think of or I didn't notice. Somebody else was smart enough to realize that. And so it was really collaboration in a way that doesn't happen often. I think that uh, the exciting part will be uh, when we're open, seeing members' reaction, seeing members uh, enjoy the new spaces. Uh, and also, you know, that's a little bit of a short-term thing, but longer term, you know, providing opportunities for members to use the club more. I mean, that was the overall goal, was greater access for members to use their club and for those future members uh, down the road. So we're uh, something I think we'll all be proud of, and uh, hopefully, 50 years from now, as I said, they're gonna they're gonna look at it and say, "Oh, those guys did a pretty good job." Yeah, I guess my thoughts are along the line of you know both Marty and and, and Mark, in a sense that we're we're creating something that that is going to live way beyond us. It's it's not a 50-year project; it's probably a hundred-year project, and. Uh, you know, we have a wonderful history of, um, you know, both programming and facility improvements and, and s the staff are able to bring on always creating a better experience, a more enjoyable experience uh, for the membership. And, and so, as I said early in the beginning, the fact that we're going to be able to leave the club in much better shape and it was in pretty good shape when we found it, but even better shape and, and a, a better experience and, and life for our members and our staff, um, I couldn't be more proud of. And I'm, that's what I really enjoy. And, you know, that's, that's, that's what we always try to do here at the club. So we're very proud of that. Well, you, you three all should be very proud. On behalf of the membership, we're really excited about this new project. Thanks for all of your time and efforts over the past few years, I think. 
I would, I would concur that you have created something that will last for generations that we can all enjoy. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. Thank you very much. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guests. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solutions Center, Shank Annis Tepper Campbell, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the host and guests' individual capacities. The opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to, or 